Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 12. Today we're taking a break from our series going through the book of 1 Corinthians. Taking a break for a very specific reason, which we'll get to in due course this morning. We're going to study from Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 12. Now the life of Jesus is put on display for us in the New Testament in the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. The life of Jesus is absolutely extraordinary, fascinating. When you see the life of Jesus, you realize immediately, even those who do not claim Him as their Lord realize immediately, there has never been a man like this. We have to remember as we read through the life of Jesus, His primary purpose Jesus came to die. Jesus came to die for the sins of the world. That was his purpose. That's why he came. That's why God sent him. And everything else that he did was in service of that one goal. To die for the sins of the world. To save people from their sins. I want you to keep that in mind as we see a a short instance of of the life of Jesus here, and a teaching that I think has effects for us in so many different parts of our lives. Jesus taught. Jesus did miracles. Jesus showed so much to his disciples, all in service of the one goal of offering salvation to the world. And as he teaches today, I want us to keep that in mind. I want us to see what he taught And later we're going to talk about why he taught it. Luke chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 12. I want to set up the scene for you just a second. Jesus has been invited to dinner on the Sabbath day at the home of a ruler of the Pharisees. So this is a really high class dinner party on the Sabbath day. Keep all of those things in mind as we read because they'll all come into play here. Verse 12, he said also to the man who had invited him. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This morning from our text, I want you to see three things that Jesus wants to do for us. That Jesus wants to do for you. Jesus wants to offend us. Jesus wants to reorient us. And Jesus wants to send us. We're going to look at all three of those from this one text Right here, this one scene in Jesus' life. Jesus wants to offend us, to reorient us, and to send us. Let's take them in turn. Number one, Jesus wants to offend us. That's right. Jesus wants to offend you. Jesus once said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. The truth that Jesus was speaking from God, he knew would not be palatable to everyone. Not everyone would want to hear What God has to say. Not everyone would want to be confronted with the truth. 
God's truth. And the same is true today. Jesus wants to offend you. He's not here to make everyone happy. He's not here to make everyone comfortable. He wants to offend us this morning. As we said, he was eating Saturday dinner, Sabbath day dinner, at the home of a ruler of the Pharisees. Not just a Pharisee, but the ruler of the Pharisees. And remember, among the Jews back then, the Pharisees were the highest of the high class. The Pharisees were the best of the best, the most respected, the most revered, probably the wealthiest among the Jews of that day. And this is not just a Pharisee, it's a ruler of the Pharisee who has this dinner party, and it seems as though he has invited many influential people, including one man who has been very influential lately, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, as Jesus arrives, later today you can look back at chapter 14, but as Jesus arrives at the beginning of chapter 14, the first thing he does at this dinner party as he gets there is he heals a man. He does a miracle in front of everyone. There's a man who has what, what is called dropsy, which as best as we can tell is a, an extreme swelling. And Jesus does a miracle immediately upon arriving and heals them because he knows what is in the heart of these Pharisees as they walk by this poor man who needs help. What's in their hearts is it's the Sabbath day. And on the Sabbath day, we don't do any work. On the Sabbath day, we can't help this man. Because it's the Sabbath, and we've got to keep that rule. And so Jesus, knowing what was in their heart, directly addresses it, works a miracle in front of them all, and heals the man. And then he says, verse 5, look at verse 5 in chapter 14 in your Bibles. He said to them, Which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply, to these things. Jesus says, you work on the Sabbath if it helps you. If your son or your animal is down in a, a, a well or a pit on the Sabbath, you're going to get it out on that day because it's urgent. You need to work right away to make that happen, right? You work on the Sabbath if it helps you. But you protect yourself from having to get involved when it comes to others. You've created these rules that keep you from having to get involved when it comes to helping others. See how he's offending them right away? Now next, at the dinner party, the next thing he does is as they come in, the people start sitting down and they start taking different places and he sees people trying to get the places of honor. They're trying to take the most respected seats around the table. There was a hierarchy even among where you sat. It was a big deal. The most important people sat in the most important places. And they were recognized as the most important people because of where they sat. He sees everyone jockeying for the, the greatest places, the places of highest honor. And he says to everyone invited that instead of choosing the seats of honor, they should instead choose the lowest places. Look at what he says in verse 11. Jesus says to them, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted, a principle that still applies today. When it comes to God, if you exalt yourself, God will humble you. But if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. And finally, this 
One dinner party, kind of three scenes. Finally, we come to the text that we read, and he addresses the host. After addressing the man who needed a miracle, after addressing those invited, he addresses the host, a ruler of the Pharisees. He had invited these guests. He was putting on this dinner party. He had invited the highest of the upper class and the most influential. And what does Jesus tell him? He tells him, when you have a dinner party, invite the poor. Invite the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Do you get the the feel of how this would have felt then? The mood of the text? This would have offended him, right? Jesus is offending this man with what he was saying. This would mean that this man, a ruler of the Pharisees, would need to have dinner with beggars, with those who didn't have a proper sense of manners, with those who were unkempt, didn't look right, didn't smell right. What would people think if a ruler of the Pharisees were having dinner with people like that? It would be embarrassing. Does this convict you? Does this convict you? This is not some story far removed that has nothing to do with us. Does this convict you this morning? If it doesn't, you must have a hard heart. This should convict all of us. When Jesus was talking about healing on the Sabbath, he knew they had created rules to keep them from having to get involved, from having to get their hands dirty when someone needed help. It's not just the Pharisees who do that. It's all of us. Have we created religious-sounding excuses in our minds to keep us from having to actually help poor and needy people? Have you done that? I have. I've done that before. I've seen a person that needed help. I've had the opportunity to do something. And I have religious-sounding excuses in my mind for why I don't have to help. I've got excuses that sound good, that keep me from having to get my hands dirty. We justify ourselves in these situations. You see someone who's poor and needy, needing help, at least asking for help, and we justify ourselves by saying things like, they've probably gotten themselves into this situation. It's their own fault. If they would just get a job, or if I help them, I'm contributing to the problem. They need to learn a lesson. All the while, what's really going on in here is not... I'm refusing to do anything because I care about that person. It's I'm refusing to do anything because I care more about myself. I don't want this inconvenience. What will others think of me? I want to keep my time, my money, and my routine just the way it is. Brothers and sisters, do you have the courage to face your conscience on this this morning? Because I need to repent of the way that I've done this. I need to repent to you of the way that I've done this. Of the way that I have dismissed mentally and physically people who ask for my help. With religious sounding excuses. With an excuse that makes it sound like I care for that person. When in reality I just care for myself. 
You see, perhaps there's a, a, a hint of truth in some of these things. Somebody comes up to you and asks for money, and you say, I can't give that person money. What will they spend it on? They're telling me they're going to spend it on this, but they're probably lying, and they're going to spend it on something else. Maybe that's true. But do you know why we say that? Most of the time we say it not because we care so much about that person, but because we don't want to be inconvenienced. We don't want to have to help. We don't want to have to get involved in the situation. We're not saying, is, is there some other way I can help? Let me figure it out. We're not saying that. We're saying, I don't want anything to do with it. I've got to repent of this. Listen to your conscience on this, brothers and sisters. Do you care more about your reputation than you do about the poor and the homeless? Do you care more about your own comfort and your own routine than you do about the poor and the homeless? Only you know the answer to that. But I know that if Jesus were here today, he would find a way to offend me on this. I need to be offended this morning on this. The real question, once we say all of that, the real question is this. Are you willing to actually do something to change this morning? Are you willing to actually do something? Or do you think we come here to church and we get a nice feeling of conviction from the Word, and then we walk out and it's over. And then you just go back to your life the same way it was. Because we do that all the time. We come in and we feel the conviction, and then we, we, we say, nice sermon, is great, and I'm glad I was here this morning. Felt the presence of the Lord this morning. We walk out, we don't do a thing. We just go right back. Are we going to actually do something if we feel offended by Jesus this morning? If we feel convicted, is anything actually going to change this week? when we walk out into the world. Jesus wants to offend us this morning. I hope he has. But Jesus also wants to reorient us. I'm going to reread our text. I want you to follow along with me one more time. Reread just those three verses. I want you to see some of the places that I emphasize as I read this time. It says, He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return, and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. What's Jesus saying here? How is he trying to reorient us? He's saying, as you do good works... As a Christian, in your works of righteousness, beware of getting repaid. You don't want to be repaid. Now, our natural inclination is, of course I want to be repaid. I want to do something for somebody, and then they can do something for me, and everybody's happy. I want to be repaid. No, you don't. You don't want to be repaid. You want to go do good works where people can't repay you. Why? Because if they can repay you and they do, you've already received your repayment. That's all you're going to get. But if they can't, God will repay you in a way that no human being could ever repay you, in a way that will be so much better than any repayment you could ever get here on this earth. Jesus is saying, look forward to a greater repayment. Sacrifice the repayment you could get now. Be a grown-up, delayed gratification, and get a better one later, a more lasting one. If you show kindness and hospitality to those who cannot pay you back, God will pay you back in the end. 
The same principle applies when Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1, where he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the street corners, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. See, in Matthew chapter 6, the same principle is going on. Jesus talks about praying, giving, fasting, and He says, if you do it to receive a reward, and then you get recognition, that's the only reward you'll get. You've received your reward already. But, if you practice your righteousness, if you follow Jesus, and if you do good things to others in a secret way, and you get no recognition for it, God will reward you in heaven. Because you did not receive your reward. So God will give you a reward. When you are rewarded on earth, when you receive recognition, you've already received your reward. How many times do we do this as human beings? We seek recognition for ourselves, right? It's kind of human nature, especially for those whose hearts have not been changed by Christ. right? We, we just had an election. Sometimes I think the most important part of the election is everybody putting a picture of themselves on the internet with the I voted sticker so everybody can know, right? But that, that's a silly one, but think about politicians, right? It, how, how amazing is it when you see a politician do something that is actually effective and they don't toot their own horn, right? That's what, that's what politicians do. They praise themselves. They make sure everybody knows that they did it and that everybody pays attention to them and sees how effective they are, I'm telling you what, they're receiving their reward. And God says that's all they're going to get. Because when we do something for others, we don't seek recognition. Even Jesus had moments where he healed someone and said, don't say a thing about it. Don't tell anybody. Now, of course, he was on his way to his death, so there's a different part of that going on. But Jesus says, don't, don't seek recognition Seek a reward in heaven. Jesus is reorienting us to seek rewards that mean so much more than recognition from others. Notice, Jesus does not say quit chasing after rewards altogether. He does not say quit worrying about repayment altogether. That's what we would expect, right? We would expect the super spiritual answer would be, hey, just quit thinking about yourself. Quit thinking about rewards. Quit thinking about repayment. This is not about you, right? That's what we would expect Jesus to say. It's not what he says. Jesus knows us. Jesus says, I've got a reward for you. God has a repayment for you. Jesus doesn't say quit thinking about repayment. Think of a better one. Quit settling for a little repayment. Jesus doesn't say quit thinking about rewards. Don't settle for the little ones. Think about a better one. Matthew 6, 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. He's reorienting us. Don't think about the, the rewards that you can get here. Think about what rewards would await you if you could do this in secret. He wants to reorient us on what we should be focused on. So he wants to offend us he wants to reorient us, 
And he wants to send us. Jesus wants to send us out to do kindness in his name to others in a way that they cannot repay us. Why? Because God has shown us the greatest kindness that we have ever known, and we could never repay him. At the cross, God has shown you the greatest kindness anyone could ever show you. Jesus, suffering for your sins, pouring out his wrath on his own son in your place, you could never repay him. God has shown us the greatest kindness, and we can never repay. And in turn, he is sending us out to show kindness to others who cannot repay because of the kindness that we have been shown ourselves. We said it before, Jesus, his purpose was to die. Everything else serves that goal, to die for the sins of the world, salvation for the sins of the world. Kindness in the name of Jesus is not just about feeling good about yourself. It's not just about rewards in heaven, even though that's part of it. Kindness in the name of Jesus is not even about giving someone what they need. Ultimately, kindness in the name of Jesus is all about trying to help someone see Jesus so that they can be saved. As Christians, we are to care about the suffering of all people. We are to care about all suffering. And we especially care about eternal suffering. Because that's the greatest form of suffering. And if we do all kinds of good works but never save souls, what will it matter? It's all for the purpose of bringing people to Jesus. And so God has, God has given us the greatest kindness we could ever experience and we can never repay. And He's sending us out to show kindness in the name of Jesus for those who cannot repay us. Here's what I want to do. Um, you know what? Reach back in the... No, I've got one here. Good. Okay. Look at the pew in front of you. There are these cards that have Columbia Christian Church on them in the pew in front of you. Take them out. Everybody take one out and look at it. Get one in your hand. If you can't find one in the pew that you're in, grab one from the pew in front of you, because this is the second service, and we've got no more services after this, so you can take any ones that you want. Right? This is a card that we're going to use to do acts of kindness in the name of Jesus in our community this week and next week and the week after and the, the month after. We're going to actually do this. I want every single person in here, every single person listening, I told this to all the people in the first service, we're going to do acts of kindness in the community to those who cannot repay us. Sometimes we might be doing it to someone who could repay us, but we'll do it in a way where they can't repay us. And we're going to do it in the name of Jesus with the ultimate goal that we want people to see God and to see Christ. We said it before, is anything going to change? Are you actually going to do something in response to the conviction that God has laid on our hearts this morning? Well, here's something to do. We're going to go out and we're going to take these cards and we're going to do a random act of kindness to someone this week in the name of Jesus and we're going to give them this card and we're going to pray that when we give them this card, when they get this, they turn it over and they see Isaiah 30, verse 18, and they read, The Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore He exalts Himself to show mercy to you. 
and having just experienced an act of extraordinary kindness, and they see this, they see it as kindness of the Lord. And perhaps it will make someone take another step toward salvation in Jesus. And so what are we going to do? Well, that's up to everybody, but I'm going to give you some ideas. Let me give you just some ideas to get your wheels turning, right? You might not do any of these. You might do something totally different, but this can get your, your wheels turning, your brainstorming, okay? Just some ideas. Perhaps you pay for someone behind you in the drive-thru, right? You go through the drive-thru to a restaurant, you pay for somebody behind you. Perhaps you pay for a lot of people behind you. Perhaps you give a lot of money, and then you just say, just keep applying it to everybody who comes through till it's gone, right? That... On, on Twitter just a couple weeks ago, a woman posted a picture of a card that she received as she went through a drive-thru at Starbucks. And it said on the card, your order's been paid for. I used to steal from the business that was here, and the business is no longer here. So I can't make restitution to that business, so I'm just paying for everybody's orders today. And I want you to know it's because of Jesus and what he's done to my heart. It's like... It's like Zacchaeus, right? He was like Zacchaeus, trying to make restitution for everybody he'd wronged, but that business wasn't even there, so he just pays for everybody in the drive-thru, and they, they all receive a card telling them it's about Jesus. Leave a crazy tip for your server at a restaurant. I mean, a crazy tip, like a tip that's going to make them think, what was that for? And then they receive this. Th this is not a tip. This is just a card. I'm talking money, right? Purchase a gift card at Walmart, like a big one, and then have the cashier apply it to everyone who comes through behind you. Purchase a bunch of small gift cards and leave them on cars around town with a little note, just right in the, the windshield. Leave a random gift on the porch for a neighbor or multiple neighbors. Give a financial gift to someone you know who is struggling, perhaps because of COVID-19 and the economy. Provide a Thanksgiving meal to someone who can't have one. Or invite someone for Thanksgiving that can't invite you back. Can you find a family to help with Christmas gifts for their children? Guys, these are just ideas. These are just ideas. Get your wheels turning. Start thinking. Have a conversation on the way home today. This is going to be fun. This, I mean, it's going to be fun for my family. I'm excited thinking about it right now. This is going to be fun. How am I going to bless somebody this week in a way that's going to floor them, and then they're going to think, it's from the Lord, right? How can I do this this week? What, what possibilities exist? Who, who might God put into my mind or into our path that we could do this for? Start thinking, and we're going to go out, and we're going to do it. We're going to do it. Now, let me ask you to do a few things that, as you do it. You take these cards home. Take as many as you want. We've got more if you want more. Pray over the cards before you do anything. Before you do anything, pray over these cards. Ask God, God, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to do it for? God, whoever I do this for, whoever gets this card, God, I pray that they would read Isaiah 30, verse 18, and know your kindness, and your kindness would bring them to repentance and to Jesus. Pray those prayers over your cards before you do anything. And then plan out something to do. Plan out something to do. Don't just wait for a spontaneous moment where you could do it. Now, always be open to those. You might, you might have a spontaneous opportunity, but don't just wait for a spontaneous one. Plan it out. Think about what you're going to do. Think about how much money you're going to spend. Yeah, we're going to invest some money. We're going to take some of our money and give it away for people because we're storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. 
right? It's going to take some money. It doesn't have to take a lot of money. You don't have to do something that would take a ton, but there might be some of us who could do more. There might be some of us who could dream big. There might be some of us who could do something that could really change someone's life over the, the, these next few weeks and months. So plan out what you're going to do. The things that matter to us, the things that we really want to get done, we plan them out. We make sure they happen. Plan it out. Don't give Satan a foothold to distract you from this or to always just keep saying, I'll do it later. Right? Plan it out. And then, let us know what you did. Now, what I, when I'm saying let us know what you did, I'm not saying toot your own horn. I'm not saying announce it. I'm saying discreetly tell me or maybe somebody at the church or even send an anonymous note what you did so that we can anonymously relay that to the congregation and motivate everyone else and keep everyone else involved and help everyone else to see what we've been doing. Not because we're tooting our own horn, but because we want to help spur this on and keep it going. Perhaps it's a snowball effect that, that keeps on going, right? I'm not going to ruin your reward in heaven. I'm not going to announce your name, right? I'm going to let you keep your reward in heaven. We're going to anonymously announce what people have been doing. And then let everybody know just a little bit every week. I'll probably stand up here next Sunday and give you two or three. Here's what people did last week. Not going to give names. Anonymously, here's what we did. Here's what others did. Now what can you do, right? So send me an email or, or drop a note off at the church or send me a text or send a text to, you know, Adam or Carol or Jenny or somebody. Right? Just, just let us know and we'll collect those and then we'll anonymously relay them anonymously, you're going to keep your reward in heaven here, right? What are you going to do? Jesus is sending you. And the goal, brothers and sisters, the goal is not for people to see Columbia Christian Church. The goal is not for anybody to see you. The goal is not for even us to, to meet great social needs, even if we might. The goal is to show people the kindness of the Lord, to help them see Jesus. We're praying that someone would take a step closer to salvation in Christ because of this. That's what we want. That's the goal. We care about all suffering as Christians, but most of all, we care about eternal suffering. We want to save people from hell. That's what this is about. And so think about this. Grab the cards. Go home with the cards. Talk about it with your family. Involve your kids if you've got kids. Think about how this could be done. Think about multiple ways to do it, if you've got the resources. How will the Lord lead us in blessing those in our community this week and next week and these next few months and on into the future? So here's what we're going to do right now. Right now, we're going to spend our time of private prayer and reflection. We're going to spend our time praying about this. And we're going to spend a few moments right now. Dwayne's going to play just a bit for us as we do. But silent prayer. We're praying about these cards. God, what could I do? Who do you want me to do this for? God, would you work in the hearts of someone who receives this card to make them come to Christ, to help them to see your kindness and to feel it and experience it and to repent and turn from sin? Let's pray about that right now, and then after just a few moments, we'll come back and we'll have a, a time of public response for those who need to respond in that way. Let's pray.